Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, the beginning of a new church year. And today we light the candle of prophecy, not as a prediction of the future, but proclaiming the promise that God will always be with God's people. O oh Lord God, how long will you be silent? We see daily the brokenness and evil of our world and cry out to you for deliverance. We are fed with the bread of tears and have tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves and ask, where is your God? Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead your people like a flock. You are the ones who heard the cries of the oppressed slaves. Come to deliver us. Bring hope, possibility, and newness amid the darkness and hopelessness too often threatens us. It seems that there is no one who calls on your name. It seems that you have hidden your face from us and, that, and have allowed evil to triumph. We have cried by day and you have not answered. We have cried by night yet find no relief. O oh Lord, you are a father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the, the work of your hands. Remember, we are your, your people. Restore us, O oh God of hosts. Make your presence known, and we may be delivered. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. You have done awesome deeds that we did not expect. Come again and make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. Restore us, O God of hosts. Make your presence known. We may be delivered. As you have come in unexpected ways in your past, come now again on your own way beyond what we can imagine. O oh Lord, we too easily become weary and discouraged. It seems that you did not notice that we are hurting, that the struggles of life seem so overwhelming, that evil seems to be winning. It is easy to be lulled into the sleep of indifference so that we can no longer see possibility, that we no longer expect you to make all things new. O oh God, help us not to be so discouraged that we sleep through your coming. Awake us. Restore us, God. Make your presence known that we may be delivered. O oh Lord, come quickly. Thank you, guys. I remember you guys. So... I need for faith to be real. I, I need for our Christian faith to have a say in the very real predicaments of life. I, you may be like me, you, you might not be like me. I, I have very little faith that doesn't impact real life. I, I believe that we have in 
um, Christianity, the resources that we need to be able to navigate life. When faith is not done well, when it's not communicated well, when it's not articulated well, then I don't think we necessarily provide folks with those resources that allow for people to meaningfully navigate life. Here, Here is a small example, and this is not what the sermon's about, but just to give you some idea of what I'm talking about, here is a small example you know, I did youth ministry for a long time, and as you would expect, a lot of the, the messaging as it has to do with youth pastors and, and youth in the room, we're all the time telling young people, please, please be responsible, please don't have sex, right? We, we say this all the time, just please do not, do not. In fact, I understand that message actually, actually gets carried on into college. We tell people, do not. Do not. That, in fact, I believe that that is the sum total of our Christian education as it has to do with sexuality. It goes something like this. It's don't. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's don't. No. And I'm not saying that that's the wrong answer. I'm saying it's inadequate. I'm saying that is a part of the right answer. What I would say is beyond that, we need to be having the kinds of conversations that allow for there to be these resources whereby people can actually live into and up to their commitments to not. In the same sort of way, in the same sort of way, sometimes I worry that we don't make available to people the resources that Christianity really does afford people, that we don't make available to people the resources needed to navigate life that is at times terribly painful. Here's what I mean. Sometimes, sometimes, and I'm sure it's nobody here in the room, but sometimes Christians believe that when bad things happen, you just have to not acknowledge them. When terrible things happen, you just have to PTL anyway. When bad things happen, maybe even worse than that, when bad things happen, perhaps it's because you've done something. But the reality is, and we all know this, I think at some deep level, we all know this, the reality is that life is hard. That life is going to give you days that are really, really, really difficult. Now, it's going to give you some days that are really, really good. And on those days, it is entirely appropriate for you to say, praise the Lord. Entirely appropriate. But on those other days, it is entirely appropriate for you to say, Lord, this is one of those terrible days. And I really thought you would be here and I don't think that you are here. In somewhere in the middle of your Bible, there is a book of Psalms. It is a hymnal, the hymnal of the ancient church. And here's the remarkable thing about the book of Psalms. It is meant, meant to demonstrate that God has something to say about all aspects and avenues of your life, all of the experiences of life. And and here's how you know that. Depending on who you read, my favorite guy, my favorite um, Old Testament scholar that I haven't met, because Dr. Bratcher, as you know, is my favorite one that I have met, okay, is a guy named Walter Brueggemann. And Walter Brueggemann says of 150 psalms, and 50 of them are lament psalms. 
50. Other people will say, no, it's more like half. So more like 75 psalms. Hear this. 75 psalms, at worst 50 psalms, give you the permission and even rehearse you in the language and the posture of saying to God, this isn't working, this is terrible, and I thought you would be here and you're not. Did you know that Scripture encourages you to pray Honestly. Scripture encourages us to pray honestly on those days that are awful, terrible, awful. When we wonder whether or not God is real or that God cares, Scripture encourages you to pray, God, are you there and do you care? Now, perhaps you were raised in a situation that caused you to believe that that particular prayer was somehow irreverent, disrespectful, perhaps even bad theology, but I am here to say to you as your pastor, and you know that I love you. If you don't know that I love you, you're not paying attention. I am here to say to you, it's good to be honest with God. I'm here to say to you, that a good, holistic, full-bodied, embodied faith includes the prayers that you will pray on the days that you would characterize as the most hellish. In fact, those prayers are encouraged. Here's part of the reason they're encouraged, because God wants you to know that on those days, though you consider God to be absent, God is not absent. And Advent, Tamara, I don't know where my magic button is. So, what's that? What? 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 It's on the front pew. Oh, you mean right where it's supposed to be. Oh, you mean I'm sitting on it? I won't say anything about my wife sitting on it. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, during Advent, this is that time of the year that we are encouraged to pray a prayer. That goes something like, God, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. God, we acknowledge that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And in our acknowledging that things things aren't the way they're supposed to be, what we're saying is we need you. We need you soon. We need you to come quickly. We need you to intervene, to do something that we know you can do. Because our story tells us that God can be known by the way that God has behaved in history. Think back with me, the Exodus. God did something there. God did something there. God wrestled Pharaoh to the ground and brought hope and future and liberation. And then the people wandered away and they found themselves in captivity, not once but twice. The people in their anguish prayed and they said, God, we know that you can do these things. We've heard the stories. We've seen it before. We need you to do something again. And then God moves. Then God moves. During Advent, We are not so much acting like Christ hasn't come yet. We know that Christ has already come. We know the whole story. We've already got manger scenes up in our homes. We know all of this, right? What we're saying is we need Christ to come again because things aren't yet the way they're supposed to be. There is still anguish. There is still death. And some of you, some of you are facing it on a very personal, painful level. And some of you aren't. 
Some of you aren't. These are some of your best days. But if you are honest, you can't, you can't ignore on your screens, on the front pages, on the television screens, that things still aren't the way they're supposed to be. And so during Advent, we pray, Lord, come quickly. We need you. Lord, it's dark. We need your light. Lord, Lord, are you there and do you care? We live between the times. Here's what we mean when we say this during Advent. Yes, yes, we're aware that Christ has already come. When we're aware of the death and the resurrection, we are aware that everything has changed, but we're also aware that things aren't quite where they're supposed to be, so we live between these two comings. We live in grateful appreciation for the first, and we live in huge anticipation and expectation of the final coming. Our posture is one of anticipation, preparation, longing, Some of you get really mad at us when we don't sing Christmas carols right off the bat. John, when do we get to sing Joy to the World? Because I'm not going to smile (laughs) until we get to sing Joy to the World. Listen, that is a good instinct. It really is. And I want you to maintain that ache for something more. I want you to maintain that ache for good news. While we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. I want you to ache for angels from the realms of glory. I want you to ache for all of that while we sing, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, Born to set your people free. You know who sings that song? People in bondage. So yes, it's the right thing to have this ache. I'll even take your frustration. I want to sing my Christmas carols. Keep it. Keep it. Because in keeping it and keeping some of that frustration and that ache for and that longing for and that anticipation for, you're kind of taking on an Advent posture that says things aren't the way they're supposed to be just yet. And you're right. And during these first two Sundays of Advent, we're going to give voice to the reality that things aren't the way they're supposed to be just yet. That we need God to move personally. Corporately, we need God to move in us and through us as a church. We need God to move in our society, and all God's people said, do we not need God to move on an international scale? Okay, remember I love you, okay? You all said amen right then. Then don't be blinded by the artificial lights of celebration while we have some anguishing to do. Please don't be those believers who refuse to acknowledge that there is darkness in my life, in my household, in my city, in my state, nation, and world. Please don't be those believers. Listen, I want us to have a sense of hope, but I want us to have a clear-eyed hope that recognizes how bad things are, and this is how far we need God to reach. It's not that things are okay. 
It's that God can do whatever God needs to do to restore all things and make all things new. Our hope is not in the way things are. Our hope is in the God who can make all things new. Very interesting story here. Let me give you some idea of what's being said in Isaiah 64. We heard a little bit of it. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 64. It's actually in the last part of the book of Isaiah. In fact, we typically will call this third Isaiah. You didn't know that there were one, two, three Isaiahs, but we really feel like that there are three Isaiahs that represent three different time periods. And this time period gives us the backdrop that we need to be able to hear these words. This last time period, this third Isaiah, the Isaiah time period, here's what's going on. The people of God have been ripped out of their homes and sentenced to exile in Babylon. Babylonian captivity has happened. But the Persians have now conquered Babylon, and they are slowly but surely allowing people to come all the way back home from Babylon to Jerusalem, where they come to find their wall around their city in ruins. They come to find their temple in ruins. They find their city in ruins. I mean, that temple thing's a problem, though, because that temple was where we were supposed to have this doorway that connects where God is to where we are. And if it's destroyed, and how can we ever be Christian? If that's destroyed, how can we be believers? Because isn't God, isn't this God's house? Doesn't God live in the temple? And if it's destroyed, then there's no God, right? That's what they're struggling with. They come home to find chaos and mess and hassle. And so they say this, oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence Verse two, as when, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your, known, your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who works for those who wait for him. So here they are, having come back from captivity. They come back, and that one thing that they feel like they need to be able to have their, their hand hold, to know that God is active and around, is destroyed. Where is God now? You pray in that moment, God, do something. You pray in that moment, God, we kind of need you to rebuild this temple. We need you to restore everything. We need you to restore your people. We are not sure that you're God unless you restore these things. Give us back our handholds, God. The temple was rebuilt. There was something of a restoration, at least for a time. I mean, this, this temple was rebuilt. As it was being rebuilt, the people seemed to come face to face with the reality that perhaps they had something to do with their being exiled. <laughs> and so they say to God, God, please do not be exceedingly angry and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, God, that we are all your people. We are all your people. 
do something for us. Do something. Can you hear the desperation? You're not listening if you don't hear the desperation. When's the last time you prayed, God, do something? Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, probably ought to do something here pretty soon because your reputation's at risk. I have. I have. I have prayed prayers like this, and I hope you won't be disappointed, but if you are, please send all your emails to Walt Crow <laughs> at <laughs> okcfirst.com. I have prayed, Lord, people are making up their minds about you. You need to do something. On my worst day, I have prayed something like this. <laughs> you know, it seems like having been God for this long, you'd be better at it by now. I'm happy to report that God did not kill me. I've prayed, I've prayed, God, where are you? I am, we are doing the best we can. We say it all the time around here, to put skin and flesh on your redemptive activity in the world, on your gracious, loving, kind presence in the world. God, where are you? And in some days, I didn't get an answer. Is that okay? You've just heard your pastor pray. You've just heard your pastor say that there have been days when I have prayed almost verbatim the same language that the psalmist is praying. <laughs> your reputation's at risk. Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing, God? And where are you? A common refrain in the Psalms. You can find it in the New Testament as well. So the temple is rebuilt, and the people of God are again uh, reliant upon the temple to be this tangible expression of the presence of God in their midst. And so the disciples come to Jesus as he came out of the temple. And they say to him, look, teacher, whew, look at these large buildings, these, these temple buildings. What large stones and what large buildings. And then Jesus said to them, do you see these great buildings? And we believe he's talking about the temple. There will come a day when not one stone will be left here upon another all would be thrown down. Oh, man, now it's not Babylon. Now, as you know, in the New Testament, what we're talking about is Rome is the, is the giant threat. And we were saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks as we worked through Matthew. But here it is again in Mark. Rome is a threat. Rome is a threat. And Rome is not going to put up with any kind of, of, of competition for first place. And if, and if these Jews think that they are really going to rally against Rome and they tried to, then Rome's going to come in and it's going to be devastating. And it was. It was, it was devastating. They came in and they destroyed the temple. They murdered the priesthood. Look at verse 24 in Mark chapter 13. In those days, 
after all that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they pray a prayer that sounds kind of familiar to those of us who are familiar with apocalyptic sorts of prayers. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. In other words, they're saying, man, man, God, please do something. Do something. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? In both of the passages that we have today, they both, in their own sorts of ways, make use of this temple imagery. In the Old Testament passage that we looked at, Isaiah 64, the people were saying, man, we can't be a people without the temple, so God, you're gonna have to come back and rebuild this temple so that we can know where you are and so that you can know where we are. We need this temple. We need this structure. We all are hanging on to it with, for dear life. We need it. And there is, in some sense, a rebuilding of the temple. And you get all the way here to Mark chapter 13, and they're saying, hey, don't we have a cool temple, Jesus? And Jesus says, yeah, this temple that you've put all of your hope and your faith and your trust in, pretty soon it is going to be absolutely demolished, not one stone on top of another. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, to the disciples, and through the disciples to us. Is God still God if there is no temple? Maybe God is saying to us, is God still God if you lose him, or her, or this, or that job, or that opportunity, you know, that person or that opportunity or that job that for right now gives you some sense that God is in God's heavens and God's in control. What if you lose it? Is God still God if you lose your handholds of faith? Let me tell you who understands what I'm saying right now the people who almost or did recently lose someone who was crucial to them. Man, I love that Toller family, I love them. Seth was in my first youth group back in the 60s. He was, he was a great guy, I love Seth Toller, love him, love him. I know, being close enough to the family, I know what kind of giant, massive figure Stan Toller was in the family of the Tollers. And he passed away before he was supposed to pass away. I also know Stan well enough to know that Stan would have insisted that Seth Toller and Adam Toller's faith would be in something other than Stan Toller. My anticipation is and my hope is that Seth and Adam and all the grandkids have been taught to pray these prayers of lament. My hope is that they are able to say, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. God, this is terrible. And we are in desperate 
agony and anguish, and we aren't sure how to move forward from here, I hope, I hope that they have been taught that these are the right kinds of prayers to pray, and this is the right time to pray them. Pray them right out loud. Challenge, question. It's okay. Grit your teeth. I'm telling you it's okay, because a loving God will say, I'm still here. I'm still here. No, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Yes, life includes experiences that are desperately painful. Yes, you will experience loss that will cause you to wonder if you can go on. And yes, the God that you've prayed to in your anguish will still be there. Will still be there. Let me give you two things to take away today. I don't know that they amount to action steps, just two thoughts that I have needed this week if I studied for this particular message. I want to encourage us to pray these very difficult prayers. No matter what topics come up, <laughs> no matter how much you grit your teeth in the process, no matter how desperately painful the situations might be, I want you to leave with these two things as you pray those prayers. God's shoulders are broad. You cannot pray a prayer that will disqualify you from the grace of God because, and maybe you've heard this before, God's mind about you is made up. And the news is good. God's shoulders are broad enough to withstand the prayers that you would pray with clenched feet. Uh, clenched fists and clenched teeth. I almost said feet. I don't think that's a thing. God's shoulders are broad enough to withstand your honest prayers. And here's the second thing. Your willingness to pray them, though your teeth are clenched, Though your fists are clenched, think about this. Your willingness to pray those prayers is evidence that you do believe. You do believe that there is a God somewhere out there to hear these prayers that you have prayed through clenched teeth. And you also seem to believe that God cares that you are in this particular circumstance. <laughs> and you're right. And you're right. Why does the suicide rate go up? And by the way, it goes up even amongst Christian people during the holiday season. Why is that? I don't know. I really don't know. I wish I had a silver bullet kind of answer. I would say this to you. Let's make sure that people know that God's shoulders are broad enough to handle their complaints, their laments, that God listens, that God is not, nor should the people of God be somehow pushed away, repulsed by the honest prayers of honest people who are in honest places of, of, of anger, honest places of anxiety, agony. Let's make sure that people see a tangible expression 
of a God whose shoulders are broad enough to handle their questions, their doubts, and their complaints. And for the people who are willing to pray those prayers, let's call it what it is, faith. It's faith. If you're going to help us set this table, please come and help us set this table, which, if you think about it, is just full of symbols and expressions of pain and agony. I hope it's not lost on you that every time we access this table, we talk about broken body and shed blood. It's as if our Savior, the same one who prayed, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's as if our Savior understands that life will be full of bright days and very dark days. My prayer for us is that you would find the permission to pray honestly as we take these elements in. Father, bless these elements and by them strengthen us to pray a more honest prayer. God, help us to find the strength and the words to identify that things aren't yet the way they're supposed to be. Help us to see, Lord, that in the broken body and the shed blood, we see, we see your all-out commitment to us, to humanity. Because we are the ones who broke the body and we are the ones who shed the blood and yet you still choose us and come to us and receive us and listen to us. And so as we take into our bodies these symbols, this broken body and shed blood, as we take these symbols into ourselves, may they strengthen us, God, to carry faith and to the places that we find most dark, most painful, those places when we are so deeply convinced of the reality of life, may we understand that you are aware of our needs, of our anxieties, our fears, broken body and shed blood. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and then come forward to receive these gifts of bread and cup. As you approach the person holding the bread, that person holding the bread will snap off a piece and place it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. Dip it into the cup, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray an honest prayer. If you need to pray a prayer for healing, then you can come to one of these side padded altars and somebody will meet you at that altar to pray that prayer of healing for you. Perhaps it will be physical or emotional or mental healing that you need, relational healing, either way. 
Someone will pray that prayer for you. Or you can pray at one of these kneeling benches, and we won't assume a thing, but we will come and pray with you at some point. Someone will touch you and let you know that you are not alone as you pray these very honest prayers. Or you can circle right back around to your pew, but no matter where you pray, I want to encourage you to pray that very honest prayer. Hear me, God can take it. God can take it. And God is there. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup, he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. If you can't come to us, Jason and Avarilla are coming to you. There is up here as well a bowl. If you need to be reminded of your baptism experience, this is what this little bowl full of water is here for. Just dip your fingers in there and remember that you are amongst the called, the chosen. Who is invited to this table? Who is allowed to come to this table? What if I've been praying disrespectful prayers? What if I have doubts? What if I have questions? And what if I have recently been angry with God? Yep, all still qualified. If you know your need for grace, if you know your need for grace, you will always be welcome at this table, no matter what. No matter what. So all across the sanctuary now, I wanna invite you to stand. Exit your pew to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. If you choose not to participate, that is perfectly fine. You're not compelled to participate but you are absolutely invited. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, a sinner come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken. up your face, oh wanderer, come home, you're not too far, so lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless and all who have strayed. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary and rest that endures. 
Earth has a sorrow that heaven can't cure. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. here to pray and the altar is still open if you would like to come and pray that honest prayer then you are welcome to do so if you would like to come and surround any of these who are already here you're welcome to do that I'm going to pray a brief prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason who will pray prayers of petition and close us with the Lord's Prayer Father, we confess that we don't like bad news. <laughs> we confess, I confess. I've always kind of hoped that Christianity would mean the end of bad news sooner rather than later. We confess, Lord, that at times... Um, We don't completely acknowledge how it is that things have gone sideways. We don't completely acknowledge how painful life is. Perhaps, God, it's because we don't want to be disrespectful, and we don't want to be disrespectful. Perhaps, God, it's because we, we don't want to believe that this kind of pain or agony can be a part of the experience of being Christian. For whatever reason, Lord, for whatever it might have been that we haven't brought these very painful things to you, forgive us. 
Forgive us, Lord, and remind us that you are God in the darkest places that we can ever experience. Remind us, God, that we cannot we cannot understand silence's absence. Remind us, God, that we honor you with our honest prayers. Remind us that you are not scared away by our honest prayers. Remind us, God, that our honest prayers perhaps are a way to move toward ever increasingly intimate relationships with you. And so, God, hear us as we gather up some of these painful situations and bring them to you in the form of prayers of petition. We want to do just that, and just that in these moments together as we move towards prayers of petition and intercession. In these moments of silence as Mark plays, if you have something in the depths of your heart, in the depths of your soul, that you feel like is not right and needs to be made right, we want to provide for you in these moments that space for lament, for whatever situation in your life that you feel like you need to bring to God have permission and now the time and the space to bring those prayers to him now. I'm going to share a few prayers and ask that you join me in prayer for some specific people and situations, but whatever prayer of lament or petition or intercession you want to enter into as we continue in prayer, feel free to continue that. And that can be prayers for our neighborhood, for our nation, for our state, for our world, whatever things is on your heart this morning, would you enter into those prayers? And some of you will want to pray along with me. Lord, it's my prayer this morning. Ask Church, I'd love to ask you to pray along with me that you would come alongside Debbie McKenzie as she rests in a hospital room and is not doing well. Somehow, God, would you comfort her? Thank you for a friend like Cheryl Hall who decided to skip church this morning to bring the church to Debbie this morning. Lord, would you heal her body, give her strength, and come alongside her with your loving presence? Lord, we ask you to be with Betty Fain, Glenn's here this morning, but Betty's unable to be with us. And so, God, if she needs prayers for recovery, would you come alongside her and buoy her life, her health, and her spirit? And would she sense that you're with her even now? 
Lord, I ask that you would be with LaDonna Bennett. Lord, be with her and Larry. And God, would you make a way and would you make it right and give her healing and hope in your continual loving presence. Lord, we want to pray for families. Pastor John mentioned that this is a really difficult season. Individuals and families who are having a difficult time and there's conflict. Lord, would you come alongside of individuals and families who are within earshot of this prayer. May your loving presence and tender spirit bring comfort, rest, peace, and assurance that you are with them. Before we pray the Lord's Prayer, we want to give you a short update on Teresa Miller, and then we'll pray for her before we pray the Lord's Prayer. Teresa had an uh, encouraging week, and uh, as far as our doctors know and medical professionals, the only thing that they can really credit this to is a miracle. One doctor saying, don't let doctors take credit for this. This is a miracle. Teresa has recovered out of the ICU and able to breathe on her own. Um, and she has a surgery tomorrow to implant a implantable device to help her heart keep in rhythm if anything goes wrong in the future. So as you've heard that update, would you pray along with me for tomorrow's surgery and for her future healing and hope and health? So, Lord, we do ask that you would come alongside Teresa and Jeremy Miller down in Dallas, their boys and their family that have surrounded them. Lord, we ask for your healing in her life and ask God you'd be with her specifically tomorrow during this scheduled procedure, that things would go well and it would help sustain her heartbeat and her life for the rest of her life. Lord, may your loving kindness be near to them. And now, church, would you gather up all of your prayers into this one prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we'll pray this morning using debts and debtors. The prayer will be on the screen in front of you as well. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory.